Mason Hall, what's up, man? Welcome to No Doubter. Thanks so much for joining us. Dude, thanks for having me. I am super excited to be here. Yeah. Man, we're, uh, we're thrilled to have you. It's, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> already, I'm trying Barry here, so it's going to be a good episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we, we've already crushed like two beers each. We are, we are oh, yeah. right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were doing that in the green room for sure, man. Yeah. So have you been on other baseball podcasts since you launched? Um, I have been on a few. Yeah, I've been on, mm-hmm. I think, uh, about three or four d- different ones besides my own. There you go. Making the yeah. rounds, making a name for yourself. Trying man. to. Oh, Trying yeah. To. Yeah, I yeah. know you've uh, I've listened to a couple of your episodes. I was uh, listening to your interview with Jessica Kleinschmidt earlier today. Uh, caught most of the one with Rob Friedman as well. And yeah, it sounds like you've been at this almost for about two years now. And you've like you had Dallas Braden on earlier. I mean, shout out to Dallas, but uh, Texas Tech University grab played for our Red Raiders, uh, Baron and I's team. And so yep. we definitely want to definitely want to connect with that guy at some point in the near future. But yeah, it sounds like you built quite the network just a couple of years into doing this now. Yeah, it's been, uh, say, I launched it, I launched my podcast on July 1st of 2020. And, right. and then, and then like, since then, it's just been an absolute grind. I mean, I would say, like, to try and get guests and all of that. And <laughs> it's all about, I mean, like, the one thing that I've learned, it's all about, like, relationships and connecting with others and networking. And that's, like, one of the biggest things for me. Absolutely, man. Well, we're going to hear your full story for sure here in a second. Um, But before we get any further into that. We need to start off our show the way we always do it, which is our segment that we call Poor and Score because when you're enjoying America's greatest pastime, you have to enjoy only the finest libations while you're doing so. And when you pour, you score. So I'm going to kick us off this evening here. With, uh, you know, I'm the three of us we from chatting, we're all, we're all hop heads on here. We all enjoy that. Uh, yep. I am, uh, I, I'm just working through what I got in my fridge right now. So I, that we have not um, previewed on this show. So to kick us off, I am going with the, this one just caught my eye when I was at the store recently. So I had to pick it up. Um, it is the Texas <laughs> Ale Project. So handcrafted and canned right here in Dallas, Texas the Texas Ale Project Pantera Golden Ale. So, friends, if you know anything about music, you know Pantera is a legendary metal band from right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Arlington, Texas, just down the road. Uh, Their namesake has had an influence in styles, had an influence on a ton of bands. And, man, they're just... (laughs) Figure out how the Pantera Golden Ale came about. (laughs) I got to do some more research on it here. But... I just caught my name, my eye, and I'm like, you know what? I got to give this a shot here. So it's a golden ale, very accessible type of brew to just about anyone. So as our guests can see here, it's just a very golden, fairly translucent color um, and hue. Goes down nice and smooth until come the summertime. This is a great beer just for shooting the breeze with your friends uh, out in the backyard, around the grill, whatever you're doing. Uh, if you're doing some yard work, whatever it is, you can enjoy this. If it's a cold winter night like it is down here in Texas, then you know you can also enjoy this. It's just a great year-round beer. Really enjoy it. I think you know on the uh, the ale side of things, I'd give it a solid eight out of ten. There you go. And can you can you give us the name of that one more time? Yes, sir. This is the Texas Ale Project Pantera Golden Ale. 
It is a vulgar display of craft brewing, if you know what I mean. There you go, Texas Ale Project, baby. Repping the Lone Star State. Mason, our most esteemed guest, what are you drinking this evening? Uh, I have a local beer from Yakima Valley. Uh, it's from Bale Breaker Brewing Company. And it is just a straight hazy IPA. Hey, it's, I love uh, it. See, 6.2%, uh, 40 IBU. And I... Yeah, I mean it's pale ale. It's it's the most well-rounded beer that I think that is up here, and it's one and it's definitely like one of my go-to's. And, and every time nice. I drink it, it just goes down smooth. Yeah, love that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very defining right. quality of the uh, the East Coast hazy style IPAs. Um, would you? We were talking about here in the green room before we hopped in on this set that the uh the pacific northwest area the yakima valley is like america's like number one producer of hops um and yes. so would you say yes. that um would you say that the craft scene is more the the hop side of the craft scene up there is has more of a le- it, it, what what direction would you say that leans in in terms of being more of the west coast mosaic style ipas or is it more in the east coast uh, New England hazy style IPAs is a, a mix of both in terms of the brews and kind of the the scene up there. What what have you observed with it? Um, I mean, like it's definitely like a West Coast, like a Pacific North, like a Pacific Northwest thing. There's um, no, it's so so actually like a fun fact on this one. So on my podcast, I had a guest, uh, Tom Hackamer, Tom Hackamer, and he actually is a home brewer. And he purchases his hops from the Yakima Valley, and he is located in Brooklyn, New York. So, so the hops all come from the Yakima Valley. It's like eighty percent of the nation's hops is just like in this valley alone. So, I make the scene like for up here. It's, I mean, everyone is well versatile, like in like their hop knowledge, and it's it's just like a natural thing up here. It's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah they take pride in their hops oh sure. yeah so there you go what would you rate that hazy IPA? oh hmm i mean for me it's definitely a nine out of ten mm-hmm. i mean like it's the go-to and i i just never tired of it so nine out of ten man i i do tend to like the west coast um myself but i think i'm gonna have to put that on my radar Uh, as someone who's not usually a fan of hazy's you sold me so yep you you gotta try it out oh yeah all right and now gentlemen i'm gonna also hop on the beer bandwagon but this is an oddball my cousin t smith gave this to me shout out to t smith you gave me a bourbon that we tried earlier on the podcast several episodes ago and now you gave me a beer he is a beer connoisseur and this beer comes straight from wanaki wisconsin it is an oddball it is uh from humble forager brewery it is their oat cream ipa Ooh, <laughs> i have no idea what the heck that, this is i just feel like I that I can design that and like an oat cream ipa that just screams wisconsin to me <laughs> oh yeah untitled yeah. Art, baby <laughs> yeah i don't even know what to do with it and it's the type of uh, logo that you can obviously tell it's just kind of you know 
you can peel it off you know yeah. what i'm saying on a can so it's kind of like a low-key one right there i couldn't find any notes on their website but it probably didn't look hard enough it says an india pale ale with oats that's why they call it an oat cream ipa hmm. got citra mosaic sabro and wakatu i think those are just the hops that are available in there so and it even gives credit to the artwork artwork by stephanie Heyman. so oh man I'm just, I'm going for it, guys. I'm going in blind. We're going to learn what an oat cream IPA is together. I am curious. Yeah, I got to see right. what this looks like. Got my British I'm... no neck glass. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, man. Okay. It's, yeah, so it kind of looks like a hazy. Yeah. yeah it's not translucent like a... at all. Yeah. yeah. That's very hazy. Oh, that's got a great nose to it, though. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. Mmm. That tastes like an IPA, for sure. But the oat gives it the S the X factor, for sure. Mmm. Mmm. Okay. So this is kind of like a hazy, but the oat. Man, mmm, that's good. It's just like an it, it comes in, in the aftertaste, for sure. Man. I want to try it. <laughs> dude, I wish I could I mean, just be like, dude, I want a drink. <laughs> so know, she could reach man. through the screen and like grab That's the glass. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Uh, it might grow on me, but initial, because it's just so different. So there we go. Uh, Humble Forager Brewery oat cream IPA. And on their can, it just says Untitled Art. I don't know if that's what it's called, but... It's on the can, so I don't know where the heck you can find this, but if you're lucky enough to find it, get it. It's an, it's one of those wildcard beers. It's an experience. Oh, yeah, it is. We all have an experience, and as we like to end off this segment, we want to encourage our audience to please drink responsibly. So there we go, gents. Absolutely. We got our brews. Cheers. Cheers. Fellas. Cheers. All right. Cool. It, you got a little koozie right there. Uh, Mason, yep. what does that say? Uh, it's from spring training down in Florida in 2018. <sighs> spring nice. training. One of our guests that yes. we had on here bought tickets to go to spring training this year, but Ooh. I think he's starting to <laughs> get nervous. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I bet. Yeah, oh, I want to punt those plans to next year. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they could they could just go to the beach, but they're primarily going. To spring training uh we might as well talk about it because since we're talking about spring training what's it like mason spring training so in 2018 um i lived down in south florida mm -hmm. so i uh i figured i would call into work to go to spring training because that's the only <laughs> thing that i mean it's the thing to do so yeah. showing up it was it was it was one of the like most interesting things that i saw like i mean initially because there's i mean because there's like all the different fields and because i went to uh like the first game i went to it was nationals mm -hmm. at or is nationals and astros and they actually share oh. a, a facility so that was okay. so so that was in 2018 so the astros cheated in 2017 no one no one knew about it <laughs> yeah and yeah. i was super excited to see like the Astros because they just won a World Series. 
Yeah. And then like all their players. And I was like, this is awesome. Like these are like the best players in the world. And uh, little do I know now. <laughs> they cheated. But yeah, I, yeah. but the whole but the whole like the spring training um like the atmosphere is awesome. I mean it's 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 very low key and I mean like the tickets are cheap and you just go and watch some baseball and and then and then enjoy some nice weather. There you go, Florida baby. Yeah. I mean I yeah. think it's at the time of this recording, I think it's the only place in the country that's not <laughs> experiencing like freezing temps. It never does. That's just saying that southeast corner right there and i love mason how you had to talk about my hometown team and the first thing you talked about is just like yeah it's the houston astros <laughs> they cheated but <laughs> yeah it's it's you gotta mention it but i mean yeah like, with the yeah. thing like, with like the 2018 like the spring training it was it's it's just it's just super funny but oh, I mean, yeah. but now you know what happens it but. does you know i mean we all lived in ignorance we all did and when yep. i went to the game where i saw i with my own eyes altuve hit that homer off of chapman to send them to oh. the world series i was there man and we oh, were all wow. living it we were living in ignorance all of us together and then we lose to the nationals and then like a week or two later it, it all goes to crap yeah <laughs> so yeah it's it's been a lot i've I, i've had therapy <laughs> but, <laughs> no, no no i'm just joking <laughs> but anyway we, we've had oh, enough conversations man, on this program it, here that we've gotten over at this point where at least barrett has i really have no standing yeah. in it because i'm a rangers fan could, could care less honestly yeah how much they continue to suffer i'm a cubs guy so we're we're there okay cubbies baby uh we'll definitely get to that uh but you know just doing our research about you mason you have a very intriguing story and we wanted to just really kind of unpack the information that we're able to find about find out about you so as we would do with a lot of our interviews we'd like to go back to a trip down memory lane where a wee little mason was growing in central washington you say that at some point even before you saw your first Major League Baseball game, you were intrigued by the sport of baseball. And our yep. first question is, is why? What intrigued a young kid like you about the game? So my, so my grandmother, so she's a big Cubs fan. Mm -hmm. So like right, I'm, I'm like right when I was born, it was like beating my head like Cubs, 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 Cubs. <laughs> so that's how, like, that's how... We watch baseball. So, but, um, I, I mean, like for me, um, it actually wasn't really until, uh, see, I was, it was my 13th birthday, um, that I, I did go to my very first MLB game and that changed my life. Mm -hmm. But like the funny thing that like when I was, um, like eight, nine, 10 years old, I tried to quit, quit baseball because I, <laughs> I to my mom i kept on saying well i already signed you up for it so you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> play but i mean like i really enjoyed the sport like as like a fan but like i didn't want to play it um and <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then uh but then like when i went to um like my first game it it like everything changed it was like like the like the, the sounds of the, like the ball game 
like the smell of the stadium, just like everything happening, like on the field, it just like sparked my like imagination. And I'm like, you know what? Like this game can turn life into like something beautiful. And so, yeah, that, and then like from like, from that point on, it was just like, it was baseball became life. I wanted, and then I wanted everything to do with it. There you go, man. That first MLB game that you saw yep. on June 2nd, 2007, where did it take place and who was playing in that game? Uh, it was the Texas Rangers at Seattle Mariners. Oh, nice. AL West. Yeah. And that was when, there so that go. was, and Sammy Sosa was playing on the Rangers then. Oh, yeah, wow. he was so, playing his final year in so, Major League Baseball with the Rangers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so being a former Cub, I was I was excited to go watch him play, and um, yeah, it was him. Like he was on the team, like Mark Teixeira. It, it was it was it was amazing. And the funny thing is, so so in the ninth inning, um, JJ Putz came into the game, mm-hmm. and he closed the game. Uh, so Mark Mark Teixeira hit a foul ball. And somehow I caught it. Wow. So, yeah. So I was like, I was like my first game. I got a baseball. This is awesome. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so, and then at the end of the game, uh, JJ puts, um, so he struck, he struck at the last batter, batter, like the ball came back to him and then he threw the ball up to the stands and I caught that ball too. And what? I actually, yeah. And I actually still have those baseballs. Wow. And, yeah. And it, yeah. and then like from that moment, just it, I mean, the whole game was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, dude, you at your very first MLB game, you have caught yeah. two more baseballs than I, yep. a man who is almost 30 have ever caught in my entire life. <laughs> I've been to a countless baseball games and I've never caught one, not one. <laughs> man, it was so- all, I can tell you it was all luck, all luck on that one. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and when it's your first game, you get two of them. That's just going to add to the experience. Imagine if you would have gotten an autograph or something. It's moments like that where there's a separation between you and and the what's the action puts on the field. But when you get an actual game used ball, that separation it you know it closes, and you feel like oh man, I have a piece of the action. So I, I sure that really helped out too there um but oh yeah yeah so you know you're so 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 it's because your grandmother drilling into your head that you're a cubs fan of course at that point the drought was still in existence um you know the curse the goat you can (laughs) god who's that fan that he's blanking on me steve bartman you know all that stuff um you know so would you would you watch uh the cubs on tv Yes. Yeah, we would we would watch on TV and and then but like I would I would actually prefer uh listening to the game like on the radio. That's mm-hmm. my that is what I enjoyed growing up. Like after going to like after going to my very first game, I wanted to watch the or I wanted to listen to the game like on the radio because because therefore I can I can picture everything and then like imagine it and I would just, yeah, I would, I would want to connect better that way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Baseball is one of those sports that you can listen to on the radio. And because it's so repetitive in its nature, you yeah. can you can visualize what's happening more so than any other sport, basketball, football. I mean, it's, you're hearing the counts. It's like, all right, here's the 2-1 here's the pitch. And then you can just play it in your head, almost like you're reading a book. Uh, exactly. Radio was a Radio was so crucial to the, you know, to the development of the game. And it is why there are so many Cardinals fans out there because the Cardinals were the furthest West team for the longest time. And because of the radio, so many people around the Missouri area and the surrounding states would listen to the broadcast of the St. Louis Cardinals and that's what started the generational Cardinals fans. And it is still why, to this day, they're in top three attendance. It's amongst, it. yeah, amongst Dodgers, Yankees, and then it's Cardinals. And you're like, that's random. But you know why? Because it's the generational impact. Yep. The, and people like your grandmother, it's just like, they're diehard fans. They pass it on. Yeah. It's like, I heard it on the radio, and it keeps getting passed on. So, so yeah, man. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm a fourth-generation Cubs fan. So now it's, uh, I got to keep that tradition alive. I know. Repping the north side, baby. Uh, you say, sure. yeah, you, you've said that your favorite Cubs player is, of course, Ernie Banks. I mean... Who who else is it, who else yep. is it going to be right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. But then you've also said that your favorite player of all time is the kid Ken Griffey Jr. I yep. mean, I mean, why not? He played am, for Seattle. <laughs> yeah, that that's a nice part about um about growing up up here. Like, was that I got to watch Griffey and Edgar and like Jay Buhner. And Dan Wilson, Jamie Moyer, Randy Johnson, Ichiro, like you can <laughs> name and just like list like all the great Mariners players. And it's absolutely amazing. I love oh, it up here. Yeah. For sure. When, how, how long is the drought, the World Series drought for the, for the Mariners? Uh, I believe it's since 20. I think it's 2001. It's the oh, last like, time they were in the postseason. Yeah. Yeah. Once a, I, I do accounting for my job and I can't do math. So that's, that's, <laughs> uh, I can't do math. 20, yeah, man, they were so close this year. It came down to that final weekend and it 21 just, they, years. Yes. they missed out on it just barely. But I mean, it was the, yeah. And it was such like a, an interesting team in terms of like how, like the, the negative run differential, but being up in as high in the standings as they were and just like really relying on yeah. like, yeah. the the mound and rock solid defense to carry them through throughout the year but i mean that's you know that the the mariners still were a fun team to watch when i got the uh the opportunity to catch them here and uh what they are on the national broadcast they were coming through with the rangers and everything so yeah i'm i'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to you know, once major league baseball gets their act together and teams get back out on the field to see what the uh the mariners <laughs> can do going into this year yeah, yeah. fun differential baby <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. That's, the that's how they do it. Uh so um so you know you're growing up in the in the northwest um you know at any point in their life have there besides your your besides your first ever game have there been any other memorable games that you've ever attended? Probably one of them was uh 
in 2018. Um, so I bought season tickets to the Marlins, like when I lived down in South Florida. And for and but then I spent my tax return on opening day ticket to sit uh, row two behind home plate, and then nice. the Cubs were there. So nice. yeah, the and the um the fall before I was uh, I was visiting down there, um, and then and then we did a tour of Marlin Stadium, and the guy who was giving the tour, um, he he mentioned that the Cubs were gonna play. Uh, like for the opening series, like down in Miami. So I was like, I will, I will be there. And then a few months later, I moved down there, and then mm-hmm. and, and then like for opening day, just sitting like right behind like home plate. It, it was that was that was unbelievable. It, it was awesome. So that's the that's the new Marlin State that's there by downtown. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had a I had a friend that yeah. uh, made a trip out there uh, to Miami last summer and got to go see a Marlins game while he was there. He said he described the, the atmosphere of a Marlins game. I mean, granted we, we we're all aware of the, the Marlins struggles in recent years and just <laughs> yep. the, uh, yeah. the, really, really do it, gain fan traction and the controversy around their stadium and the tax dollars and all that. But he described basically the atmosphere of a Marlins game as like 80% nightclub and like 20% game that they just had like a very like <laughs> Miami very... party kind of atmosphere. And that the game is like yeah. just a kind of like secondary sideshow to it. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's actually a, uh, a pool out in left field and yeah. it's in the Clevelander yeah. bar and oh, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time. <laughs> I tell you after a fact. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> man. And then the the and then the baseball game is just it's a backdrop to oh. your party. And there's a baseball <laughs> game going on too. Oh, <laughs> would expect nothing less out of Miami. Yeah, I mean whatever they can do to bring out the fans. I know their team is pretty pitiful. They do have a new GM though, who's going to try to turn yep. things around. Uh, Kim Ang, first ever female uh, GM, and you got Derek Jeter in the mix there too. So they, I mean, they got to be on the uppity up at some point. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll see. So yeah, cool. You mean seeing opening day, going to a game, getting two balls, a lot of cool stuff there. But I guess going backwards now again. So you're you're trying to quit. Your mom's convincing you to stick <laughs> it out. She tells you there's a guy named Bill James who is, you know, his philosophy is about getting on base. So even if you're on the team, it's like, hey, just draw walks. <laughs> and yep. your, your OBP is going to be really high. <laughs> so yes. There you go. But anyway, so uh, did you end up, uh, you know, progressing in baseball and playing in yep. Little League and high school? Yeah, uh, so so in Little League, I played Little League for six, for six years um, mm-hmm. because of my age, and so yeah, I mean, I made I was an All Star f- for it was like four four years in a row, um, and then nice. and then high school ball came in, and I played uh, Legion ball, um, then I played fall ball. I went down to, and then I even went down to uh, Peoria and played at the Mariners and Padres spring training fields like for like for like a showcase tournament um and then and then I ended up going to college ball and then I was uh, a pitcher outfielder um and but then I but then my freshman year of college I uh tore my uh rotator cuff and my labrum 
and then I had to get that those like redone. So so then wow. I had a rehab, um, and then um, and then after that, uh, I came back, um, rehab all, all summer, and then uh, I partially tore my UCL on my elbow, which was <sighs> so then I didn't want to get a Tommy John, so. <laughs> So, so I decided to uh, hang it up and then just after that I had, I had all this time to be like a baseball fan and just like enjoy the game for like what it is, like instead of like being a player and it's, it's, I mean, like, I, I mean, like I do miss playing, but I'd much rather do what I do now and be a fan and be in like the podcast industry and yeah, it's yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> There you go. We interviewed uh, someone on our show several, um, you know, several months ago. He went all the way up into college and he sustained an injury while he was at college as well. And Mm -hmm. he said he said that coming back from an injury is one of the most difficult things you can do because it wrecks you psychologically. um, You know, yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't even imagine that. But you said you were pitcher slash outfielder in college yeah that was a two-way guy you were everybody you know at one point wanted to be a two-way guy and then you have all these coaches it's like no you got to specialize specialize and then now who's on the cover of the show Shohei otani two-way guys (laughs) two-way guys baby you know (laughs) there was the two-way guy guy. guy Yep, and, and oddly <laughs> enough, we're about to see the uh, Universal DH be adopted for the uh, starting yep. this coming season. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, hopefully yeah, we'll have more <laughs> players that step up and uh, and hopefully Otani can start start a trend, start a new movement of guys that are interested again in going two-way. And, yeah, even if it's not required by rule based on where they're playing, that it's like, hey, they elect to ultimately be out there on the mound and at the dish. Yeah. Nice. Uh, that'd be cool and say so, yeah because there's i think there's uh two two two-way guys in the angels now so you got otani mm-hmm. and michael lorenzen hey there you go it, it can be done they say there can't be left-handed catchers either there used to be but you know i, I feel like baseball just puts so much limits on the on itself in a yep. lot of respects it's just you got to break those barriers there it's all the uh, it's all the unwritten rules of the game <laughs> Oh, dude. Have you heard of a book called The Baseball Codes? I have not. Uh, I just finished listening to that via audiobook. It talks about the unwritten rules. There's literally an Ooh. unwritten rule for literally every single thing that happens in a baseball game. And I'm I'm not joking. How you how you look at a pitcher, how you slide, uh, how you hit, when you hit. I mean, there's there's all these unwritten rules that are buried underneath. And if you cross the line, then you get, I mean, back in the olden days, you get being, of course, it, things yeah. are changing for the better now. But back in the old day, you had to play the game the right way. And if you didn't, man, you got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's insane. But anyway, I digress there. Man, so a pitcher, uh, Do you, are you a righty or a lefty? Uh, righty. Uh, there you go you know you know, you know join the club <laughs> there's funny of us i so. wish i was a lefty i wish i was hey. a lefty. hey you know lefties are they're in high demand so at the college level you're at the peak of your career uh what was 
what was the fastest you able you were ever able to throw a pitch? Uh, I've hit I've hit ninety. That's that's the hardest that I've thrown, and and I was I was excited like when I hit ninety because I mean because that was like a big goal of mine. But then I yeah ninety. I mean, like, but I would average like 88, 88. I mean, to hit my spots, but I mean, like when I like really wanted to throw it, like I used to be able to do that, but not anymore. My arm is toast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, man. uh, Were you rocking the two seamer or the four seamer? Four seam. Oh yeah. You get, you get that extra, you know, grip there. That's the way to go. But hey, you know, you got the Zach Rankies of the world joined the throwing the junk ball. I mean, yep. come on, man. Greg Maddox, you know. Yeah. There's a plate, there's a place for those guys. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, you know, at the plate, um, were you were you kind of a, a slugger, someone who hit it over the fence a lot, or were you, uh, would you just, or would you describe yourself more of kind of like a, a hitter, you know, an Ichiro style hitter, or you know, extra base style hitter? I was definitely a gap to gap guy. Okay. I mean, it'd be yeah, d- double singles. I mean, I mean, like I wasn't, I wasn't the biggest guy, mm-hmm. so I mean, like, so so, I knew my role, so just base hits and get on base and that's pretty much all that i wanted to do just like find find a way to get a bit find a way to get on base there you go so winnichee valley college is uh is that like d was it d2 d3 naia like what level were you playing at that was it's it's a junior college so i'm i'm a juco bandit (laughs) hey you know uh, I've heard tons of interviews from uh, players who have come from all levels. And oh yeah, hundred percent. Even if you're not D1, there is talent in the you know sub tier called levels because really it, it's just about the grind. I mean, I mean, look at Tom Brady when he went into the NFL, and you take one look at that guy, and you're like, forget it, and then he's exactly. the goat, man. It's like it's all about effort. I feel you know, yep. especially in baseball, you have to grind in the minors. I mean, you put forth the effort and you can do it. But of course, you know, your situation, you know, with all the injuries, you know, totally understand why you would hang up the cleats because, I mean, that's just bad luck, really. I mean, JV, Justin Verlander didn't have, didn't have to get Tommy John until like, what, two years ago. So, yeah, it's just bad luck, man. But hey, you, you tried your dream. You made it all the way to the college level. I mean, you'd throw 90 miles an hour at one point. That's like 40 miles faster than, than you know, than Brock Holt can throw, basically. <laughs> That's true. You got it. You got one up on him. So I will take that. There you go. Uh, he's got a sick EFIS pitch. <laughs> so. <laughs> That concludes part one of our interview with Mason Hall. Tune in tomorrow for part two of our interview, in which Mason tells us how he came up with the concept for his podcast, Loaded Bases. He also talks about the many stadiums he's been to, and the ones that are still on his bucket list. Be sure to subscribe to No Doubter, wherever you listen to your podcast, so you don't miss out on tomorrow's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star review, as well as consider supporting us on Patreon or purchasing one of our many merch store items. 
All of those links are in the description below. We, we would greatly appreciate it. We hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This episode of No Data was produced by Eric Bostick and Travis Lockley and edited by Travis Bostick. Our logo was designed by Lindsay Silbrick. 